something that's always on our heart around here. Hosea, the prophet, was a contemporary with Isaiah, who we are looking at today again. Hosea gives us an insight into this whole idol thing that we've been looking at over the last few weeks with Isaiah walking us through what are idols like and what damage do they do in our lives. Hosea chapter 8 verse 4, you can write this down in your notes as something to look up later. It says this, with their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. With their silver and gold, they made idols for their own destruction. And it's, it's interesting for multiple reasons, but first of all, they made idols with silver and gold. Uh, that's like good stuff. That's, that's stuff that's expensive. It, it wasn't cheap. Uh, when, when we think of things that are silver and gold today, they're, they're usually things that have incredible value to them. When, when you get married, many, many people will give that gold ring that uh, costs more than, than a lot of other things in life. Uh, it, it's, it, it's an expensive thing. It's a valuable thing. And, and what Hosea and Isaiah are both saying is that idols aren't necessarily a smelly monstrosity. They're actually many times made with the good things that God has given us. And then we corrupt it by making it an idol. How, how does that good thing go bad? Well, we, we change how we perceive it and feel about it. And, uh, and it's really a lot of times not even in formal commitments, but it's in a functional commitment, uh, an emotional commitment to things, we exchange, and I, I think this is important to remember, we exchange the creator for something that it's created. We exchange the creator for something that is created. And you can find that in Romans chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. And it's kind of like trading down. If you want to picture it that way, you're trading down because the gift seems more real than the reward from the actual giver of life. And that's really what idolatry is at the end of the day. It's a matter of the heart. The prophet Ezekiel said the heart went after their idols. It's a matter of the heart. That's Ezekiel 20 verse 16. And whatever good thing your heart goes after, and I put good thing in quotes there, whatever good thing your heart goes after, if you prefer it to God, guess what it is now? It's an idol. It's an idol. And what impact did their gold and silver idols have? What did Hosea say? They were made for their own destruction. Made for their own destruction. Idols distort, idols twist, idols kill. However refined, however impressive outwardly, idols destroy. Idols will destroy you. 
Well, how, how can it be otherwise? Why, why are you saying this? Well, John chapter 1, verse 4 says, life is in Christ alone. We sang that this morning. John 3.36, life comes to us on God's terms, not our terms. You know, we can try to kind of squeeze or wring out of life, um, out of created things, um, life, but it doesn't work. If we take God's good created world and we separate it apart from the lordship of Christ, it becomes destructive. God's creation, when we look at it, and it's a beautiful creation, isn't it? Just all of the different things that you can look at and all of the different ways that God created. God's creation can become dark and sinister by how we treat it, like we end up taking the environment and making it God instead of seeing the environment and going, wow, God created. You see, see how easy it is to flip the switch into something being an idol? And Isaiah has lingered over <clears throat> these problems of idols for for many chapters here for us, and he doesn't want to move on until we understand that idols are basic to everyday life, and they're so obvious that we don't see them, that we don't react to them. We don't, we don't see them because our culture tends to be the lens that we see everything through, and our culture in our world, our culture doesn't see idols as idols. And we're influenced then in, in ways we don't even notice. And we have problems then understanding the real cause of pain and hurt and destruction in our lives and in the world. And Isaiah wants us to think about this and go, hey guys, until you get this whole idol thing, I'm not going any further. Until you understand this, we're stopped right here. So he wants us to think about it until we see with new clarity that the salvation God offers is the only hope. It's the only hope. You know, I had a discussion with someone this morning, early, early on, before any of you were here. So someone, you don't look around, they aren't in here right now. And, you know, the discussion went the way of there, everything just is awful. And it's like, yeah, but let's see why. Don't just say it's awful. Why is it awful? And the simple answer, the correct answer, is always sin. We don't like talking about it, but that's it. Sin. Sin destroys everything. Well, how do we get around that? Well, we don't. That's the whole point of the gospel. There is absolutely no way for you or for me to get around the sin issue without Christ. It's impossible. 
And what we see here in chapter 46 is Isaiah speaking exactly to that once again. He's saying, hey, all of these false gods, let's compare. Let's compare once again the false gods versus the success of the true God. Let's see if these gods that you have to carry and put into certain places will actually carry you. Well, let's dive in and take a look. Let's look at verses 1 through 7 right now. I hope you have your Bibles open. I'll read it out loud. Bel has bowed down. Nebo stoops over. Their images are consigned to the beasts and the cattle. The things that you carry are burdensome, a, a load for the weary beast. They stooped over, they have bowed down together. They could not rescue the burden, but have themselves gone into captivity. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel. You who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb, even to your own age, I will be the same. And even to your own graying years, I will bear you. I have done it, and I will carry you, and I will bear you, and I will deliver you. To whom would you liken me and make me equal and compare me, that, you would be a, that we would be alike? Those who lavish gold from the purse and weigh silver on the scale, they hire a goldsmith, and he makes it into a god. They bow down indeed and worship it. They lift it up upon the shoulder and carry it. They set it in its place and it stands there. It does not move from its place. Though one may carry to it, it cannot answer. One may cry to it, sorry. It cannot deliver him from his distress. Bell, Nebo. Kind of sounds like something from some movie somewhere. You have Bel, if you don't know, he's the patron god of Babylon, king of the gods, determiner of the destiny of the nations. Nebo, his oldest son, the secretary of the council of gods, custodian of the tablets of destiny. And the Bible had already introduced us to these names indirectly through two biblical names, Belshazzar, catch the bell there, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebo. These gods represented the ideas of Babylon and the official view of things. It was the authority of these gods that validated Babylon as the, the lead culture of the world. This was acted out uh, every year in a New Year festival. And the images of Bel and Nebo were carried in a grand procession through the city as tokens of good fortune throughout the year. And Isaiah looks at this same profession, uh, procession. And what does he see? What does he see in the procession? He doesn't see Bel and Nebo triumphantly leading into the future. He sees them weighing down the pack animals that have to lug these big, heavy 
idols through town, and he's not, he's not buying the official line. He sees the obvious. And this is very important. This is what Isaiah sees, and this is what we need to see as well. If a God has to be carried, how can it carry you? If a God has to be carried, how can it carry you? If a God can't help itself, how can it help you? If a God needs your strength, how can that God strengthen you? It's very simple. The word that Isaiah uses here for this, some translations say images instead of idols here. Some say idols, but, you know, it's, it's wrapping itself around the same idea. But what's interesting is in the original language, there's, in, in other parts of the Old Testament, that, that word is used for pain and hurt and, and strain. And, and, and what, it, what it pictures is idols promise everything, but they take everything from us and leave us fatally wounded. They leave us fatally wounded in the, in the trial of destruction, in the trail of misery. And, and one of the things that we've got a picture here is, isn't it interesting that Bel and Nebo are the gods of a culture that does not exist anymore? Thought about that? Yeah. How well did the Babylonian culture do? How, how well did it endure? See, we can't take the rise and falls of civilization for granted. Every civilization will fall when it is not focused on God in Christ alone. That's just the way it is. Because idols destroy. It just does. They Let's look at it this way. I mean, I don't know how many of you walk around and think about Bell and Nebo much. I don't know if that was something that, you know, hey, I'm Christmas shopping today, uh, Bell and Nebo. Oh, yeah, I remember those guys. We don't think of them today except for when someone mentions it maybe up in a sermon or if you stumble across it in your Bible reading. You, you, you notice I had to explain to you who they were? I find it interesting that I have to try to keep attention sometimes up front for myself, it's not just you. <laughs> and when you're talking about historical items, historical things like this, the, these two idols, these two gods are historically known. This is not something that's made up as far as history is concerned. 
there's tons of extra biblical text that explains the worship of these these idols. And you understand that idols are impressive at the moment because you can go and visit these ruins in different places and stuff like that. And you see the idols, you see the carvings, you see stuff like that. And you go, wow, that was pretty impressive. But they're dead. There's no life to them. It's a civilization from the past. They're unsustainable because there is no life. And one other thing that you'll notice in here, did you see when we read that, that Isaiah does not believe that that Bel and Nebo are just different names for the same God that everyone is worshiping? And I think this is key as well in our culture. Many, many, many people tell us what? Oh, we're all worshiping the same God. It's just different expressions, different images. And it's like, God's like, no, no, no. Isaiah's no. He's saying that the gods of the nations are no gods at all. They're pathetic. What does he say there? They're burdens to the animals that are carrying them. They have nothing to offer us but weariness. And then he dives into verse 3. Listen to me, O house of Jacob, and all the remnant of the house of Israel who have been born by me from birth and have been carried from the womb, even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. I have done it. I will carry you. And I will bear you. And I will deliver you. There is not one moment when God is not carrying you and me along in life. There will never come a time when you'll have to have that broken down idol of God, quote unquote, fixed so he can start carrying you again. The reality is, is that God has taken the responsibility of his people for all the days of our lives. And we need to humble ourselves to realize that God is bearing us. Moment by moment, by grace alone we say and we sing. He carries us. As we see here, to God, we will always be his child. We will always be his dependent. And that's okay with him. Some of you who have been parents for a lot of years know the reality that once a parent, always a parent. And you always want to be there for your kids, right? I I was watching a a real brief moment a few days ago where a, a gentleman who was 96 years old accidentally run a red light and was explaining to the judge why that happened. It's because he was taking his 63-year-old son for cancer treatments, and he got distracted. 
and the judge said, way to go, get out of here. And that's God. We see little glimpses of it every once in a while and how people parent. And God is the ultimate parent. We are always dependent, and that's okay with Him. Look at His promises. He's going to bring us where? All the way home. Isn't that awesome? I mean, the Bible says it all over the place. I thought I'd just do three real quick. Psalm 55, cast your burdens on the Lord and He will sustain you. Psalm 68, blessed be the Lord who daily bears us up. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast all your anxieties on Him because He cares for you. That's God. That's the real God. That's the God who carries us. He wants to prove it and he bears our burdens and he does it for us today. And he, and he says there in verse 5, to whom would you liken me and, and make me equal and compare me that we would be alike? You're going to compare me to those broken down idols that you can go visit in Iraq, or you can go visit in Egypt, you're going to compare me to that? That's just another expression of me? No, it's not. They're dead. I have given you my spirit to be in you as a believer and to guide you and to guard you and to protect you, and you are mine until you are home. That's the God that's real. What God are you following? I, I think about it this way. Earlier today, I showed you those little invite cards. I mean, quite honestly, the reason we have those invite cards are not for you guys. I mean, they may be helpful for you, but the reason they're an invite card is to invite, not you, for you to use it to invite people to hear about this God that bears their burdens if they only will turn to him. And you realize how many people have never heard about this God, the true God? Do you hear about the true God on any media outlet on TV during the football game? Eh, not usually. Do you hear about it in the culture that we live in? No, 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 no. The culture doesn't want us to hear that. Satan doesn't want us to hear that. The responsibility, according to Scripture, falls on who to share the gospel? Us. The body of Christ. That's why sharing the gospel, another word for that is evangelism. That's why evangelizing our city is worth it. It's worth it. Yes, we know for a fact that not everyone is going to accept Christ. 
but I know for a fact that he's called me as a believer to share it. And how will they know if someone doesn't share it? I also don't like the whole idea of like, oh, just live a great life and you don't have to share it. it you you just, just live for him and you don't have to share anything. That's baloney. Because scripture says, how will they know unless they have not heard? See, it's a two-part deal. Yes, you need to obey and you need to live for him and grow in him and shine Christ's light. But when someone says, you seem different, you say, have you heard about Jesus? Because that's why. That's why I am who I am. Can I just share you a little bit about what he's been for me and done for me? And can I share some scripture that shows you why that's important? You see, what is the creator worth to you? When you go to a really good concert, do you share that information? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I was at a really good concert twice this week. Two different ones. They were both awesome. Did I share about that? Yep. Yep. I evangelized the people I knew with the truth that the Gettys concert was awesome (laughs) and the truth that the Masters University Christmas concert was awesome. And I was out there. Some of these people know it. I was out there. It's like, hey, that's the best trumpet section I've heard the university ever have, and you know that I'm kind of picky about trumpets. (laughs) Why? It's because it was important to me. We need to think about this and pray that we lock in on God himself and what he's done and how he's bearing our burdens. And when our hearts do find that God is what we really long for, then you will be released from whatever the idolatry that we'll talk about in a few minutes, whatever you're caught up in, you will be released into true worship that will never end through time and eternity because you will be worshiping in Christ alone. I have hope and strength and courage and most importantly, everlasting life. And that's what Isaiah continues to say here. Verse 8, remember this and be assured, recall it to mind, you transgressors. Remember the former things long past, for I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from the ancient times things which have not been done, saying, my purpose will be established and I will accomplish all my good pleasure, calling a bird of prey from the east the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken. Truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it. Surely I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn-minded who are far from righteousness. I will bring near my righteousness. It is not far off. And my salvation will not delay. And I will grant salvation in Zion and my glory for Israel." 
It's, it's kind of interesting that in all of these assurances that, you know, God's saying, I'm going to prove this, I am going to prove this, why does God then confront? He confronts them, right? He's like, hey, you stubborn people. Other versions say rebels. Those who are far from righteousness. Why does he say that? Why does he encase this argument in that? Because we are. How many times have you caught yourself, even as a Christian, if you're a Christian in here today, how many times have you caught yourself going, I'm resisting God's blessings right now? You you can catch yourself doing that because you get sucked up in the idols. And, And... The encouraging thing I want to share with everyone here today is that God bears us not because we deserve it. He bears us because He loves us. He does it in spite of us. So many times, we, kind of, we do kind of like God's promises, but... Man, how many times do you hear people complain about God's methods? He says here a few times, I, I plan this. It's the sovereignty of God. Yeah, I, I have a plan, everyone. And there's those times, I think probably almost everyone in this room could be said that they're guilty of this. God, I don't like the plan. I, I, don't, I don't like this. This plan, in my opinion, God stinks. Anyone with me on that at times? And and he's like, don't resist my plan. Stop it. I just see him looking at me and going, Scott, stop it. I I will bear you. And, and he says this in such a very simple way. We don't like this bird of prey idea swooping down on us. And it's really an idea, and we'll explain it in a few minutes, a little more relevant to the history of that time. But one thing that we can certainly picture with this bird of prey is how the bird of prey swooping down on us destabilizes us, destabilizes our world, even though it could be fulfilling God's purposes. And we're like, no, no, God, I I wasn't planning for the job change. God, I wasn't planning, you know, fill in the blank. And I think that's why so many people, even inside a church like this today, have a hard time with being full of faith. You know, even though, let's, let's be real, the idols of our age that are out there, they're, they're just like the idols then, they're, they're bowing down. 
they're falling apart, they're a massive failure? Does it look like the world's plan is working real well compared to God's plan? No. But even though it's a, it's a mess, people run off the cliff with it, right? And we need to understand that. We need to make up our mind and live confidently in the promises of God. Now, let me zoom in here on this bird of prey moment. Let's go back to verse 11. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my purpose from a far country. Truly I have spoken, truly I will bring it to pass. I have planned it, surely I will do it. Listen to me, you stubborn-minded, you who are far from righteousness. I, bear, I bring near my righteousness. It is not far off, and my salvation will not delay, and I will grant salvation in Zion and my glory for Israel. The bird of prey that was coming is Cyrus the Great, so you know that in the historical context there. We've already met him earlier and talked about him earlier. He comes from a distant land. He's going to destroy... Bel and, and Nebo, he's going to destroy Babylon. And then it says from that distant land, what, I am going to summon him, summon this bird of prey. Have you ever seen a person train a falcon or a hawk? It's pretty interesting because that's what you need to understand here. Because that's, that's the picture that's going on. The hawk is blindfolded. It's perched on the arm of the handler. Thick leather gloves so those, those deep talons don't dig in. And they take that bird of prey that's got that hood on it and they, they keep it from seeing anything except they feed a little bit of meat and, and then they got a leash on those, those talons and it's, you know, it's got those sharp talons and it's digging into that leather glove and, uh, glove and that, that, that trainer is training it how to come back to him, how to come back. He's sending it out. He's bringing it back, but they're blindfolded in the training process. They train little by little, but who's in charge of the bird of prey at the end of the day? The trainer. And what was God doing with Cyrus? Cyrus had no clue, really, how he was being used by God, but God was training him. And using who he was and who he is and what the plan was, right? God's the one calling him, calling him back, using this plan. And what God was doing is that you had this great military conqueror, Cyrus the Great, that raises up from nothing. God trains, prepares him without his own nation even really understanding it. He brings him against Babylon. God did that. 
That's, that's what we see here, calling a bird of prey from the east. He's going to summon this bird of prey to do his will. Have you ever seen they'll go and take the hawk, they'll, they'll take the hood off, and the hawk will be over on a perch, you know, 100 yards, 150 yards away, and they'll put two people in between right there. You just like stand right next to each other, and they'll have them do just like this with their arms with a little, little gap between them. And the trainer will get behind them and have that little piece of meat and snap his fingers or whatever he does. And that hawk zips through that and goes right through without touching what he wasn't supposed to touch with his wings and snags that. Trained exactly the way the trainer had trained him to do his work. And that's what God is doing here. He does do it. He does it. He's sovereign. He's sovereign king of every nation. He's going to summon this bird of prey to do his will, to do his purpose. And the purpose of all of this isn't ultimately to do little tricks, like I just said. Not little tricks in history, but do the ultimate sovereign direction of his will. Because Israel had to move from being in captivity to being back into the land of promise for Jesus to come. This was all planned. It's all part of his plan. And he says over and over again, listen to me. How many of you have taught fourth graders? If you have a class or a group of people that are 10 years old. I remember one time I was, I, was, I was a youth pastor, children's guy, and there was a group of, at a Christian school that asked me to speak at their opening you know, chapel for the year. So there's like 150, 200 kids in there, and I was scared. Those are mean people. I'd do this any day. So there's like all of these kids there, and, and actually in the very front row were kindergartners that were there at school for the very first day of their life in school. And I was like, what do I say to them? You know, how do I, how do I share that? And, and lo and behold, within a minute of me starting to open the Bible and share with them, you know, God's love for them. This, this little dude up front who obviously was very nervous about his first day in school decided to stand up and just go, oh, and threw up everywhere. <laughs> and I was like, all right, let's pray. I mean, what do you do? But you sit there and you go, you're trying to get everyone's attention back. And, and it was obvious this, this little guy wasn't feeling good that day because Pepto-Bismol was involved and all types of stuff. 
It was bad. And all I could say was, hey guys, listen, listen to me. And I knew they were never going to listen. And, and do you think God feels like that sometimes? Listen to me. While you're bowing to these idols, while you're, while you're throwing up all of this junk that the world is saying, listen to me, you stubborn people. Listen to me. God is saying, I am righteous and you are not. I am righteous and you are not. You are rebellious. You are an idolater. Listen to me. Faith comes by hearing. I am communicating to you. You are far. I am going to bring you to righteousness. You cannot do it yourself. The Bible says in Romans 3, there is no one righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands, no one who seeks God. All have become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. We are all far from God. And so what God is doing in history is bringing us salvation. Those who are far away, both the Gentiles and the Jewish people, both were far away, both can come near. And by the birth that we celebrate right now in this time of year, the birth of Jesus Christ, by the life of Jesus Christ, by the death of Jesus Christ, by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, he is bringing righteousness near to us. Who is he bringing it near? You stubborn rebels. Why? For his purpose. So that he can shine. For his glory. So the applications are pretty clear here. First, I want us to think about and want you to think about as we close this today. What did you drag in here with you? right? What did you drag in here with you? What idols are you dragging around? What idols are clogging up your life? What bell, what Nebo are you chained to? Because how many people worship those bell and Nebo guys now? None. And in the future, you will not be able to worship those idols that you are carrying either. That's the point. Every idol is discredited in the end. Everything that you would live for outside of Christ that is an idol is discredited. Anything that captures your heart that's more important to you than God and God alone that can be so many different things, right? Obviously, it could be the love of money. It could be the sense of worth for people from achievements and accomplishments, and that's what they live for. It could be pleasure. The culture that we live in is so geared into that stuff. Comfort. Comfort. 
would you agree there's a boatload of lazy people these days? The Bible talks about that. It can be an idol. You sluggard, as it says in Proverbs. If you live for that, your idol can be for power, control. People make their bodies their idol, right? Maybe your idol is something way more secret that you try to hide. Alcohol. Pornography. See, the list goes on and on, doesn't it? And all of these idols are like 100-pound weights dragging your soul down. And maybe some of you in here today are going, yeah, that's exactly where I'm at. I don't know how to be free from this. Christ will set you free. Praise God to that. Jesus says, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. But if the Son sets you free, what does he say? If, if you know it, you'll be free indeed. Now sign me up for that. Christ came to take the guilt for all of our idolatries up to this very moment today and to the end of your life or when he returns, which is ever first. He says he carries our burdens. He takes our guilt. He takes our sin. He takes our suffering. He took it to the cross. And he died in our place that we may have eternal life. So trust in him. Believe in him. Live for him. And for those of you who are already Christians, every single phrase of this should be, yes, I am so glad I'm free. And it's a good reminder. I think we need to be reminding ourselves of this every single day because we don't deserve it. One last thing, too, as we close here. Verse 4 Go back there. Even to your old age, I will be the same. And even to your graying years, I will bear you. Another version says, I am he who will sustain you. I have made you. I will carry you. I will rescue you. Take the good old fear word and throw it away. God carries you to the very end of your days, which is not the end of the days. He saves, he rescues. And when those times are the most burdensome, 
and the most dead weight that you possibly can feel that you're carrying, remember, He calls you from the grave because you were dead. He calls you from the grave. And you come to life in a resurrection body eventually, and you will live forever. He will lift you out of death and give eternal life. My Father's will is that everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life, and I will raise Him up. He bears us. Can I submit to you that I really believe that Christians alone know how to die with dignity because Jesus showed us how. Because we know it's not the end. There is an appointed time for each of us to meet Jesus face to face. And when we do face him, We are free from judgment. We are free from wrath. We see him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. Come on in and be with me. Amen to that. You know what? We have no idea how long we have on earth, right? We can get old. We can get gray hair. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. God's in charge. God is raising us up. God is carrying us. God is sustaining us. And it's going to be so glorious forever that we are going to shine like the sun in his presence forever and ever. And that is the one true God and the power that he has. Get rid of the idols and let God carry you because he's the only one that can. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for the word found here in Isaiah and that you grant salvation, as it says in verse 13 there, and that your salvation does not delay. You grant salvation, and it's for your glory. I pray right now that if there are people here today that are feeling the weight of sin in their life and the burden of false gods. Lord, I pray right now that they will simply bow to you, live in your name, your name alone, believe in you so that they will be saved and that those idols will be destroyed and that they will follow you and you alone. Lord, I pray right now that for those of us who are believers, that we will remember that you always carry us. You always, always carry us. 
Thank you for that promise. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.